Hey guys, it's me, Chris Denson from Innovation Crush. Now look, around here, we're not exactly web designers. I think you know that by now, but I'm in the process of creating an amazing website using Weebly. And honestly, I still can't believe how easy Weebly makes it. First of all, Weebly was created for people just like me with the courage to start their own business and the dream to be their own boss. You don't have to be a web designer or know how to code to build a beautiful blog or online store. And we were all very impressed with the wide variety of professionally designed mobile-friendly themes to choose from. Then you simply drag and drop to quickly build and publish your site. Too easy. And you can truly customize, update, and change your site anytime you want on any device. Join the over 30 million people who are already dreaming big with Weebly. Get started today for free at weebly.com slash crush. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot slash crush weebly.com slash crush hey everybody it's me chris denson welcome to another installment of innovation crush uh there used to be a guy who would uh, my co-host who would uh echo innovation crush he was like a hype man he uh, i don't know about hype but he was a man <laughs> and he would echo he, he was, was your flavor flave your <laughs> yeah. vinny Exactly. Your Spliff Star, any of these people. He was my Ricky. Right, works. Huh? Uh, So, in case you're tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things innovation, creative people doing creative stuff. Um, And the ball does not stop today. Um, We have Jensen uh, Carp in the house. Yes, hello. Hello, Jensen. Hello, friends. Um, AKA, do you still go by the AKA? Well, I mean, we go by FKA, formerly known as. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Formerly known as Hot Carl, yeah. Um, give the give the people a little bit of a one hundred and one on yeah. on who the FKA yeah. and CKA CK currently known as yeah within the last well, I guess for the next three months I'm back <laughs> to being this person. Uh, when I was a child, I grew up in the uh, nearby the affluent neighborhood of Calabasas, California, which is uh, Woodland Hills is the next door neighborhood, all white area. They call Calabasas still Calablacless. I, I grew up as the only person in my area who loved hip hop. As, a, as an art form, as a passion. I, I studied it the same way like Peter Gammons looks at baseball. Like it is the most important thing that I focus on. Hmm. And I became a good good MC through that. I, w- I look like an accountant, but I can actually battle and kill. Are you actually a good accountant? Well, no, not at all. That's the coincidental <laughs> part about being Jewish. I'm not good at accounting, very good at rapping. Um, and so I just would battle all the time through high school, had a couple brushes with possible record deals as a kid. Uh, and nothing took off until I went to USC and I entered a radio contest called the Roll Call, which is where you battle different rappers every day. Uh, and the champion before me had won 10 days. That was the highest ever. Yep. Uh, and I won 43 days in a row. Uh, they had to start paying me as a, as a radio personality on the show. Is that, uh, was that like a legal loophole? Like yeah, they had to... yeah, you can't, because then it becomes like advertising for a guy. Wow. Yeah, because then you're like, just let him win. And, you know, then we were all invested in him. So instead they had to like invest in me in a different nice. way. Uh, and so uh, I retired on top in, in sort of like the uh, closest thing hip hop has to Seinfeld. And I was like, listen, I uh, I don't know if I want to do this for a living. I was I was going to USC for filmic writing. I was going to be just a sitcom writer. And uh, Jimmy Iovine stepped in from Interscope Records uh, and offered me a million dollar record deal as, as I got off the radio. Uh, and I And I signed it. And created an album with Kanye West and the Black Eyed Peas. Needed an accountant. Yeah, then I got a couple of them, <laughs> a bunch of long names at Endenstein. Uh, and so yeah, I ended up getting this deal and working with so many big names, and they just spent money and money on this record. Uh, and then it became sort of industry folklore, which is this book I'm releasing, which is why it kind of all went away in one day. 
uh, uh, I didn't get that far in the book. That's a, yeah. It's, spoiler alert. I don't think we hide that. I don't. I think that's <laughs> no, not part of the. That's not part of the thing we send day. out to podcasts. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's called Kanye West owes me three hundred dollars uh, and other true stories from a white rapper who almost made it big, and uh, that is true. Kanye owes me three hundred dollars. Um. So so, what are you doing now? Hmm. <laughs> like, like Tons I, of stuff. Like, like I want to get. I want to do a fast forward. Yeah. And then I want to do a little like of a bridge yeah, between yeah, yeah. the two. So when rapping ended, I sort of found myself at a place where, and in your podcast, I feel like it's going to be uh, falling on ears that I care about hearing it. Which is, I, I hit a creative wall, and like a lot of people find that wall and just stop. Like I know so many people who have let that define them. Like right. I, I had a weird story. We don't know how my record got shelved. We don't know why it happened in a day. There's so many conspiracy theories. A lot of weird stuff happened. Um, but I didn't let it define me, even though I had a nice few, a year of depression, as everyone would. Um, but I sort of made a U-turn. I found a dead end and just turned back around, and I opened art galleries, which makes almost no sense. It, I didn't go to school for it. I, rapping has nothing to do with it. I just saw an opening in the marketplace for art for like a uh, the people who are spending $300 on sneakers and $600 on handbags. They're putting up like ten dollar posters or like babies in peapods. Like right. that's not a, not a good. That doesn't work. And so I thought an art gallery that sort of caters to those people would work. Um, and thirteen years later, we've had like four locations. It's become sort of my main bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I've been writing comedy the whole time. Uh, you know, when I when I kind of look at a lot of the touch points on your journey, I yeah. had this thing about like infiltrating pop culture, right? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> even as a, a as a Jewish kid, yeah. infiltrating hip hop, yeah. or just like even the the types of art that you know the gallery represents, Absolutely. which is uh, if you want to explain it, because you'll do a it's better job than super I. Super easy. It's pop culture. We focus on artists who are basically for the first time showing originally, and then become kind of seasoned veterans. Uh, but you know, their first time showing, and we we encourage them. Uh, this generation is influenced by Nintendo and the Coen Brothers more than they are Picasso and and Michelangelo. They're just not. It's just the internet culture. Right. So we we tell them, go ahead and make that. That's what I'd like to put on my wall. I'd love a Mario Brothers painting. So we 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 encourage them to do that. And now, thirteen years later, we're still sort of a pop culture influence gallery, and we've worked directly with these brands from Breaking Bad to Lost to the Oscars. Um, to the Avengers, we just did Force Awakens for JJ. So we work hand in hand with these brands uh, to create sort of art-focused marketing campaigns. How do you get brands to embrace what today's idea of art is? Yeah. Because be, you know, there's there's a lot of theories about whether we're not whether or not we're celebrating mediocrity in certain crafts, or you yeah. know, when it comes to music or art or you know, or just business. You know, if another app gets funded, you're yeah. like, <laughs> no, it's weird. Like you know, 13 years ago, we would have been nervous about a cease and desist from JJ Abrams. Like we wouldn't have thought right. they were going to put us on staff, and they put us on staff. Uh, and it's because they can't control it, man. I mean, it, it, Tumblr is 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 a, a a heaven for these things, and it gets shared more than the tweet that one of the stars put out. Right. So marketing wise, they they want to be able to not control it because it doesn't equal money per se, but they want to be involved in it. And it's an easy way to get creators and creative types and sort of start a relationship within that community and also um, sort of reach out to fans and have an initiative for them to celebrate them and creativity at the same time, which is which is sort of the thread line for all of the things we've ever done. That's what all the companies would like to do. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I would imagine, you know, some of the brands, mm -hmm. right? Um, this is a thought I was having earlier are they're a little hesitant because of the tone of internet it's like, it's almost like when people first started wanting to advertise or work with hip-hop artists yeah it was like oh what are they fuck what and yeah. shit this and yeah. you know uh sound like somebody's mom right there <laughs> fuck what and this <laughs> shit not my uh, mom my mom would be celebrating yeah. <laughs> my mother's down um uh how do you i guess how do you explain because I'm sure a lot of people are like, this is this is yeah. cool. Well, our first our first vendor ever, like our first client ever, was Disney. 
Uh, and so from there, you can't get any harder. You right, know what I mean? Like it, it, when the next client comes, you say, well, our first client was Disney. And then the doors open because they're like, well, they, they were able to deal with Disney. And in real life, Disney was like the most liberal group we've ever worked with. And we've worked with them over and over again. We just finished Star Wars with them. And they've been so um, open and, and ready to do those things. You know, if I delivered a painting of Hawkeye fucking, you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, they would hate that. Uh, but we're True. not, we're not going to deliver it. Yeah. So we're, we know what, what you're allowed to do and what right. you're not allowed to do. And we've been courteous and the artists are fans. So it's not like, you know, I don't have to talk them off a ledge of being, you know, mean to a brand. Um, and we pick the right brands. I don't, I don't pick in my opinion. We, this week we announced a, a partnership with Bob's burgers and it's like all our, all of our artists are fucking obsessed with it. So, right, you know, right, so right. they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to ruffle feathers as much as the brand doesn't. So you pick on the like? Are you selective on the brand side? Very, yeah. We okay. we say no to more than we say yes to. Um, we that, didn't do two and a half men. We were offered that. I did two and a half men last night. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, long story. But well, we also didn't do Big Bang Theory, which you technically could have done also. <laughs> Double entendre <laughs> night here. Both of those work. Really killing it. By the way, I like the hat. Does that is that did that come from the the uh, Drake oh, pop up? It did. Well, no, I uh, October's very own. Yes, Raptors, it is, it, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here's the thing. I uh, the Toronto Film Festival and the NBA heard that I did a live read of Space Jam uh, two years ago with Blake Griffin as Michael Jordan, and it was one of my favorite things we've ever done. It was uh, Michael Jordan uh, was played by Blake Griffin. DeAndre Jordan played Charles Barkley. We had Nick Kroll, Gerard Carmichael. Uh, we had uh, Topanga from Boy Meets World. We had a very uh, Seth Green, a great group of of characters and actors to do it, and it went viral and it was awesome through Funny or Die. Um, and then Toronto Film Festival called me for the NBA All Star Game to do something similar. So Hannibal Burris and I flew out. He Hannibal played Michael Jordan, and then we kind of filled out the rest of the st- uh, the crew sort of with great Canadian actors. Um, and while I was there, they gave uh, the NBA nicely gave me tickets to the Rising Stars game. Which I'm an NBA fan. It's like really the only thing I care about, in honesty, is the NBA. A lot of, there's a lot of NBA metaphors in, in the yeah in the book. In your book it's yeah. all I care about. <laughs> uh, if I could write an NBA book, I would. No one wants me to. Uh, and so I went to the game. It was like a make a wish for me to go. They gave me great seats. It was. I mean, genuinely, <laughs> right. I thought I was dying, and they were just going to tell me at the end. And uh, when I went into the Toronto, because it's in Toronto, so when I went into the Raptors store, I was like, I don't need any Raptor stuff. And then I just hit a section of designed by Drake stuff. Just just Toronto merch designed by Drake, which is like enough for me to be yeah, like, that's, uh, all right, $250 later, I was like, I'm good, thank you, uh, and just like became the biggest Drake stan slash Toronto Raptors fan in the world. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the, I, I mean, I, 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 again, I'm going to go back to this idea of infiltrating culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, and going back to the book and your earlier career, yeah. and especially when it comes to perception, yes. right? And I would even imagine like the stuff we just talked about with brands and the types of pop culture art you work in, sure. it's like there's a perception issue sometimes. Yeah. Um, how did you overcome or approach the perception issue as a 12-year-old, you know? Uh, <laughs> well, my editor recently, because I just did the audio book this last week, and uh, my editor had asked me- Would and, you like to recite it again? Yeah, please. Have you, can you start in chapter one? <laughs> <laughs> Chapter one. Uh, okay, so sh- okay, so he, uh, when I was twelve years old, I uh, was found at of all places, just like every other rap star, at a bar mitzvah, and a, a guy brought the mic over, and I uh, rapped at this bar mitzvah and killed it. And he had connections to LA hip hop, so he had connections to Ice T and Tone Loke and all these people that were kind of popping off at that time. And I ended up opening for Ice T and Rhyme Syndicate here in Los Angeles and Hollywood and Vine. And it, 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 I detailed in the book very weird my parents driving me to this bar very strange situation 
Um, but we did one of our own songs, which was called Killing at the Playground, which now is a reference. This is my favorite story ever. Yeah, not a lot of people get, but it was a it was a diss song to a group called Another Bad Creation, whose album was called Chillin' at the Playground. And uh, I figured the easiest way to get over, you know, to get fans was to diss other people. That seemed like an easy thing. I had watched Tim Dog do it. I had seen Two Life Crew do it. I would seen a bunch of people do it. And so at 12 years old, from Calabasas, a suburban kid, I was saying, you know, I shoot my gat at the playground, you know, and Aisha, Aisha had her, she's nothing like things that a 12 year old would never say. Like, and so my editor, when I was talking about why I said those things, I said, well, I was being satirical of gangster rap and I was being satirical of what people think comes from a 12 year old's mouth. And he's like, you're a fucking liar. I, don't know, but I was going to say, did you, did you 100%? Okay. 100%. And so much so that I found writings that I did at that time to give him and was like, here's proof. This is what I wrote when I was 12. And so, you know, I think when you say perception, that's what I played with. I knew toy, and I changed it once I became old enough that it didn't matter. Because when I'm 19 and white and from, uh, you know, the suburbs, I'm not going to talk about guns. I never did. I only talk about what I know. But at that time, when I was a kid, I knew that that was the perception to play with. I knew that was no one wants to hear about my little league game. I knew that they wanted to hear a certain thing that would that would catch them off guard. Same reason that I was a good hip hop dancer. Every you know, a lot of people were good hip hop dancers, but not a kid who looked like he should be at a Boy Scouts meeting. Right. And so that was I knew playing that role would mean something even at twelve. I was just like an old dude. I was an old marketing dude in a young <laughs> a young boy's body. Mad boys. Yeah, yeah. And so that was my thing. And so I, I knew that. And so when you say like perception, if I think that I think that toying with that perception is kind of what has got me as far as I have gone. Yeah, even, was, even for the gallery. I was going to say, like, how has, like, in what ways has that stuck with you, right? Well, like, when I, okay, so um, Lost, right? So the TV show that was this juggernaut, was this master thing on TV. Uh, they made a mistake. The producers of the show saw an ad in the LA, uh, not an ad, a, 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 an article in the LAist. I worked for Mattel as a consultant. And they saw a Mattel van, one of those sort of, like, VW vans they make, like a large Hot Wheel. And, and we had an artist cr- rusted up, and it looked like a Dharma van. It wasn't a Dharma van. They totally blew it, came in to buy it. I was like, this isn't a Dharma van. I was like, but you know what? If you want to work in art, I have an idea for you. I have an idea for you for Lost. And they go, okay. I didn't have an idea. I didn't have an idea at all. I just was like, fine. So they set up a meeting that week, and I go in and I pitch this idea, which I made up that night, which was like a, a scavenger hunt both online and real life in different places you go. You go to that place, for example, Susan Sarandon's ping pong bar in New York. You go there at noon, all the balls change to Dharma balls. On one side of the of the balls, the logo. On the other side is a website. You go to that website and you can buy a limited edition print of one of the top moments in lost history. And that happened. And and I went in going, I'm gonna make a hundred prints right. of each. And they think, well, okay, it doesn't seem like a lot, but why don't you make five hundred? I go, because that doesn't mean anything to me. And they go, Well, you know, what if you don't sell them? I go, Well, we'll deal with it then. It's not a high investment for you. And so we did them, and we sold out of every print, every single print we put out, which was over 15 of those 100 runs, sold every one of them in an average of about 45 seconds to a minute and a half. And so in my opinion, I feel like when I was a kid, I went in and said, very low expectations of this person. You've never heard of this theory. You've never heard of selling screen prints. You've never heard of this thing. Let me try something and don't expect much. Right. And then when I turned in a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars profit on a marketing campaign... I mean, they offered me a year-long job and, and uh, for something I'll never get that fee again. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. It's like I feel like breaking what you think you're going to get from me, excelling it, is something I've learned when I was 12. When, it's the Woody Harrelson and White Men Can't Jump thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I'll play that guy. Okay. 
Go ahead. Uh, play me. I, we'll see what happens. And and that's the battle mentality. I mean, I was going to say, like, that, and that, I was, you know, there is, I'm getting goosebumps now. Mm-hmm. But that is, that is sort of the game of it, right? Is like, you don't, like, I, I spent time as a martial artist. I, yes. Like, when I went to school, uh, like I was on our Michigan State karate team and sure. so on and so forth. And, I did pretty well. Like at one point, I was ranked fourth in the state of Michigan. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know. No. Not, yeah. So <laughs> you were um, entering the dragon. <laughs> I did enter <laughs> yeah, the dragon. Yeah. Uh, Could have done another, another a double entendre. Yeah, yeah, I was going, I was going uh, to, right. and then I said, "No." Dragon is a boy who worked uh, on Santa Monica. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and he knew the way of the fist. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Look at you. Congrats. <laughs> no, but you, you know, it's always there's a psych out mentality that, that that some people try. Like, and it's very obvious, right? Yeah. Like bravado or like you know whatever fake. warm up moves yeah. and screaming, and I'm yeah. like I always was just like okay you don't know me at all yeah and let's see what happens yeah. right like and that's is a, it's really interesting to to live out that surprise you know mentality in a in a business context yeah um uh you talk about uh, even at 12 yeah uh being on stage and your your first two songs were duds dead right? uh, complete complete right? bombs we then, did other people's music for the first two songs and then but you talk about it, like the transition between the third song that killing at the playground was going into the zone um, yeah, yeah. Describe the zone, like what it was then and what it is today. It's the same thing. It, it's that. It's that. I, I feel like at that time we, we watched for the audio book. My director needed the audio from that performance to um, where we. I have a, an English Shakespearean actor coming in to read all the lyrics in the book, which is just a stupid idea I had. So she needed to hear Flipping the Hamilton on. Yeah, head. yeah, yeah. We have a white British guy. <laughs> so I, I was like. Um, I said to her, I was like, well, you know, I'll bring in the video so you can hear the cadence and then give it back to the guy. And she goes, great. So I watched a video for the first time in a while of me performing when I'm 12, which you read in the book. And it, it, there wasn't supposed to be a pause between the second and third song. And somehow it happened. Someone must have pressed pause. I don't know what happened. But the point is, th- w- there was no music. And I had just bombed two songs in a row. And I, you, look, you see me look at the guy, kind of our manager, and you see me go, it's supposed to play. And he goes, well, just go out there and talk. And the first thing that came to mind was, all right, this wrote I wrote a long time ago. I didn't write a long. I wrote it two weeks ago. <laughs> this is a long time ago. Uh, this is called Kill at the Playground. This is uh, dedicated to all the mental hip hop midgets. Another sad creation, all made up, and weirdly at creation, the beat drop on creation, as if it was like a setup thing. And I remember at that time going, oh, and just go and just falling in place and going. Right. This is what's supposed to happen. Like, right. I wasn't supposed to cover two songs up top. We did that because we had nothing else. I right. was 12 years old. We had just created a rap group so the month meant, before. This is what I'm supposed to be exactly. doing like, life-wise. And that's the way I'm new wave about shit. I'm new age about stuff now. I think that if our phone call meeting didn't happen at noon and we can't get another one of the books, that's because we're not supposed to do the project. And if if the lost people come in because they think they saw a Dharma van on site and it's not, yeah. and then ask me if I have anything for them, I better have something for them because that's what's supposed to happen. But I, but in my my strange life and all the weird things that I've done, it's not that they fall in place. I still have to work very hard. But karmically, I feel I'm very sensitive, and I feel those things from projects, and I feel those things from people I'm working with. What? Also, I, I grew up here, and I think I have a very good douchebag meter. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like I don't I don't fall into things that we're going to waste my time because and, I just am better at it. And just, I mean, you're speaking of the LA yeah. sort of douchebag. Yeah. Like, like club uh, promoter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like fake promises. Yeah. And, um, this, this is going to get a li- little bit deeper, but yeah. like, what does that 
cosmic thing feel like? Like, is there a physical? Yeah, I mean, thing and, and you... this, this is always where I sound most like Kanye, so it bums me out. Where I'm like, oh, if I heard this, I'd be like, this guy's lying. See, if you hadn't done that pre- uh, the precursor, nobody would have even thought. I know. Now, now, now the, I feel the whole it. audience is no, going to be like, filled with doubt. Yeah, listen to him. No, <laughs> I, I think the truth is, is that I feel it, man. I, I physically feel it. I've, I've always been sensitive towards psychic-ish kind of feelings and things like that, and I, I just see lanes open easier. And I see, and it might be because I'm jaded from living here, and it might be because at 12 years old I had a fallen record deal. I mean, there are things that that sort of harden you to have a quicker response. And I have always known, and and I have a podcast called Get Up on This, where we uh, it's on the Earwolf Network, and it's where we tell you what's next to blow. So like we can we you know my 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 co-host Maddie and I we're right a lot, way too much we're right. And I feel like it's because I've known when I heard Chance the Rapper for the first time you know, three years ago, and he had 500 followers. I contacted Chance and said, I want to make a music video with you and Hannibal. I put them together. And and I I knew, hearing Hey Ma, I knew, I was like, wow, that that song, that's Kanye. Like, this is the next Kanye to me. And so I reached out, and, and that's how I worked. But I have felt that my whole life. Whether it's whether it's the RZA the first well, the first time I heard Protect Your Neck on Twelve Inch, or the first time I heard anything like that, I've I, you know I've always I've had misses, but I have been on top. Our first podcast was six years ago. We I'm not a fan of his, but I go Macklemore's next to blow up, and that's you know two and a half years before Thrift Shop. Yeah. So I just know I I, I just I mean I just know culturally I'm sensitive towards openings. You seem like the kind of guy that people come to for advice. Uh, first. Uh, oh wait, hold on. Not relationship advice. No. Uh, okay. Because then just... I'm fucking garbage. Because <laughs> no, no, there to... is one thing where I'm not sensitive and don't understand what I'm doing, and that is relationship. Anything else? Yes. You should. You should ask me what's going to happen next. In, what, in uh, what do people come to you most about? Um, like it might be career thing. It might yeah. Be, uh, just, just. A, I think I people know. like I, what I've I've been good at is that I've I've dealt in so many um society like I've I've worked in so many fields. I've worked in, you know, uh, television, I've worked in marketing, I've worked in art, I've worked in rap. So I know a lot of people from those places, and I've been good enough to not burn a ton of bridges. So I think a lot of people will be like, hey, I, you know, like I, a friend of ours was asking about publishing deals. Um, and, and I go, oh, I have a guy who's signing up a lot of publishing people, let me put you with them. And it didn't necessarily come together, but she got a bunch of writing sessions from it. And I get those questions a lot. Do you know someone in this? Do you know someone in that? Let's, And then I'll, I'll maybe connect people that way i'm good at that now because you're so multi-pronged yeah you know you're you are but like none of them are social media manager or club promoter none of them are like the worst kind <laughs> of social hyphenate. media yeah. guru none of those are like the worst those are like you know instagram famous i'm none of those things pr yeah is another, please yeah. well but, no, there are some, but there are some great yeah, but publicists I know, but the horrible yeah. publicists give the good publicists oh, like a really hard please time. yeah um, i mean it's model nowadays too because anyway, to all my former publicists <laughs> yeah, yeah and mine right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um uh so what has aside from the battle mentality like yeah. what from your hip-hop experience or just the culture in general um have become arsenals for you you know in your in your journey today well i mean it is kind of battle-based but i mean like i in hip-hop and anyone will tell you this who raps you're never second best you know, you always think you're the best. And even if you don't think you're the best, that's the culture. The culture is to tell everyone how you're the greatest. Right. Um, you know, Rampage, the last Boy Scout, still talked about how good he was at rapping, and he was terrible. So, like, that kind of shit, it's like, it's, it's like I, I always feel like, oh, I can do that. I can deliver that. So I don't, I have, like, an, you can't really knock down my spirit. And also, someone recently, who was, I forget, someone asked me a question about, oh, I, I think it was another podcast where he asked, He's a kid. He was like 21 years old. And he was like, how do you get away with like criticism? And that I was, was like, my question. Well, I don't know. Well, because of hip hop, I don't 
feel it. Right. I don't really care. And yeah. that's and that's that's because of hip hop. It's thick skin. It's Very. Like, you don't. I mean, I used to go up against battles. Oh like, my god! Yeah. I would go up against fifteen, sixteen MCs in one night at the Key Club here in Los Angeles, and each of them would destroy every aspect of my life, and then I just I'd make fun of them worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really hate that dude's teeth. I don't really care about his teeth, but the point is, is like I had an opening to make fun of him, and so I made fun of him. And at the end of it, when we'd hug. It would always confuse my parents because my dad would be nervous that I'm going to get the shit Wait, kicked out I of me. I love that line. It was most rappers had a posse of bodyguards. Yeah. I had a nervous dad. I did, and he would <laughs> he would he would be so nervous that I was going to get beat up uh, at these shows. And so he'd slowly, quietly move towards the stage, and then at the end he'd see us hug, and he's like, "What the fuck is this?" And so like <laughs> I I don't feel it because you can't. I it's grew all up love in this. In yeah, sense, I grew right? up in this. So like even if you don't like what I'm doing, I'll eventually do something you like. It's not a problem for me. I don't you know. I, and I've been lucky because. Hot Coral was not, the battling was well regarded. But once I started recording, I was so ahead of my time being a suburban rapper, being myself, sounding like this, looking like this. Nowadays, it's hard to find a rapper who doesn't like look like he works at Hot Topic. You know what I mean? But at the time, there was no one who, who looked like me or acted like me in hip hop. So I've aged well. Right. As far as the rap community. Now they think I was early and now whatever. And I know I can rap. I know I have skill. But, you know, nowadays it's, 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 you know, sort of regarded as as just a pioneer in that way. But at the time, I got shit on all over the place. And so learning that time will work itself out yeah. has helped me what, a lot. What made you keep going? Like, I would imagine if I was a 12-year-old white yeah. kid and yeah. I'm getting, like, shitted on publicly. Well, I got worse <laughs> shit on when I was, like, 19 and 20. But, yeah, 12, 12, they, uh, 12 I was still a gimmick. I right. got away with being a gimmick. When you're like 19 or 20 and you're rapping about Ralph. But you were also aware of that fact. Very. Like, like uh, very. Know, at that time, which is different than like, oh, yeah. I'm a 12. Like, and that's, if yeah. my daughter thinks she's good at ballet and yeah. somebody's like, nope, yeah. not you. And yeah. she's like, oh, like it's, you know. Yeah. You don't take a million dollars from Interscope Records and go, I'm going to be okay. Right. I'm, I'm, you say, I'm going to fucking win this because I, I got I to gotta do this. I got to win. Right. And so I was very focused on that. And then I didn't stay long. So you're asking, you know, how, how did I keep going? I really didn't. I was in the business for two or three years, and I realized I was either ahead of my time or I, I love the art form too much to keep messing with it uh, and found another way to, to, to sort of hit the craving I had to creatively. And I did. I found another way. Um, I, was, I was about to start down this path of you being like a, the consummate multi-hyphenate. Sure. Uh, which um, is nice i appreciate that no they're, they're, i accept it a lot of people go like Ugh. like i i'm happy because my hyphenates aren't they're not bullshit well and it's also yeah, it, yeah and i think that sometimes i mean let's say a new business meeting or some some opportunity comes up yeah. people want to pigeonhole you or say oh this is the guy we go to for x yeah um you, you have you like how do you overcome again that that perception yeah of like uh, oh this guy is la because you, you are like hey, Four galleries, yeah, Melrose, yeah, like the, yeah, the, I grew up here, yeah. So I, I well, like I just worked, like for example, right, like I write the ESPYS every year, like I've written the last two two years now to be doing it again this year. That's an ABC property, right, mm -hmm. at ESPN. I don't talk to ABC marketing about my deal at ESPN. You know, like I don't, it never comes up. Like right. they don't ask me. Like the marketing people don't ask me about the writing gigs. The writing gig people don't ask me about the marketing. The people at ABC Digital who brought me in to talk to me about maybe developing some things there. They don't even know about the ESPYS thing really. So it's like there are so many categories. I don't allow them to do it, and if they bring it up, I don't. I don't dwell on it. All these things are just little facets of what I do. I was writing comedy since I was little. I've been yeah. rapping since I was little. I've been liking pop culture since I was little. Those things are all part of me, and so I don't really allow them to let it define me because it's i'm it's all just for me it's under one umbrella it's, yeah it's all shit i liked when i was a kid uh, no, is, uh, do you ever find difficulty when you meet somebody for the first time like which 
I'll say writer. Which version? Writer okay, okay. safest. Because <laughs> even, in, even in marketing, I'm writing. Like even like on Lost, I created stuff with me. Paul Shear and I created sort of ancillary marketing uh, materials and videos right. and stuff. So like every aspect, even the gallery, like I'm writing on all those things. And it, uh, so in that in that writing lane, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you talk about this. The I mean, the book making process, especially if it's memorable. You know, memories. Yeah, not easy. How, yeah, I was gonna say like, what is that process like? I th- I don't think we've ever really like gotten into uh, like oh let me look you know we interviewed sugar ray leonard yeah and yeah he talked about that. his book yeah um but didn't really ask about like what's it how with the process and of all respect down to sugar ray leonard but there's got to be an and name under his name right <laughs> yeah. i mean no disrespect to sugar ray leonard because i am a fucking super fan but uh i highly doubt he had to sit in his room alone and figure out things and i had to do that for eight months and right. so there's a part of me that you know every Every two weeks, I go. No one fucking cares about this. <laughs> like, right. you know, you start to question why your story even got a deal, uh, and so you have to sort of truck through that. And I had originally pitched a book of essays that were not chronological, um, which is not something to pitch to book companies. They don't like to hear that. Oops. Uh, so they, the guy who did hear it was like, "Well, I'm going to buy this story, but I'd like to buy it chronologically, and I don't want essays. I want it to be like a story. I want you to memoir it." Uh, and at first, that was so daunting. I was like, well, "I don't want to do that." And then when I thought about it, I was like, well, that's the best book and it's going to challenge me the most. And so, you know, I, I sat down and I, I remembered everything that happened. I decided, you know, what order, because I did mess with the order chronologically. Yeah. Uh, some things came earlier, some things was later. That's the, really the only thing I messed with in the whole book. And uh, I figured out what the full story would be. I have, you know, sort of a screenwriter's background from schooling. Uh, and I wrote it that way. Yeah. I wrote it like a film. And uh, yeah, eight months and a lot of questioning and a lot of, you I was know, say, did you go back and like ask your dad or like people uh, in your circles? Well, like, well, I asked my mother, my father, luck. Well, the sad part is he passed, but I'm the sorry. good news, no, it's okay. The good news is he filmed almost everything. So my mother's like a Feeny Shakur. She like kept everything in She's case, exactly they, like well, in case they wanted to open a museum or something. Right. She has like every newspaper article, every video game, <laughs> oh, like awesome. everything that ever mentions me, she has. And so between my father's, chronicling on video and my mother's weird uh hoarding knack to keep everything that said my name on it we had so much stuff you know and and and, you know three days before three days before we went to press she texts me and she goes i found a picture of you and like some people and i go oh cool send it she goes i think this one's you and a friend from high school and it's a picture of me and kanye uh which sort of changed the whole book you know i I tell the story and go we were really close friends and then i had no picture of us and so my mother kept everything so she was like well i'll keep every picture of you and so there it was our picture of me and kanye together so you know, that kind of stuff helped me a lot in the process, and that helped me sort of puzzle things together. I, you know, I, I called a couple people to sort of go yeah. over some stuff, um, but most of them, it's told in a, you, you kind of read some chapters, it's told in a very, you know, um, contained chapter way. So I knew that I wanted to talk about this and writing with Cisco, and I wanted to talk about my birthday party when I was 21. Those things I knew I wanted to fit in, it's just how it comes in. What's your favorite memory Um, from that era? You know, I... For the book or for me? Either one. The, the not funny version is the Kanye... Well, I guess it's the funny. I mean, being being so early in a journey for someone that was going to become a megastar... It was very awkward reading that. Like, it was just it's like... Weird. It's a really awkward... It, but it, and, and telling. Like, it's it's awkward and you're like, oh, you know, somebody tells you, like, yeah. I was the type of kid that would do X. And you're like, yeah, yeah I, I can see Kanye, that. Right. right. And he, he, he was very, you know, looking back now, he... He was feeling him. He was feeling his voice out at the time, and I don't think he knew who he was. You know, a, a, a story from the book is that he arrived wearing hip hop clothes, very 
almost stereotypical baggy Aniche sweatsuit. And then when he saw me, he goes, oh, man, I'll dress like I normally dress. And then the next day he came in in a rock shirt and, and ripped up jeans. <laughs> and I think he just didn't know who he was. Right. And so his voice wasn't there. His rapping wasn't there. And then after the accident, he really found his place. And that's sort of where we lost our friendship. So I had seen awkward transitional Kanye and seeing that happen for someone who had become such a gigantic pioneer. You know, it's very weird to see awkward version of someone who has never shown any you know, break in confidence since. Right. It's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Um, another area you touched on in the book, at least your, uh, the other half of your extra large yeah, duo. Yeah, yeah, Ricky. Um, there was, you kind of touched on this like socioeconomic divide. Yeah, Ricky Kidd, Um, yeah. how, like what, you know, what is your point of view on that? Whether it's from then or now, yeah. like, you Well, know. I was middle class. Uh, my father was a car salesman. My mother worked in uh, her own advertising magazine that she would run out of the house, uh, sort of one of those junk mailers. And um, we, you know, I was lucky to have even the privilege that I did have, but compared to my neighborhood, I was I was pretty low. Right. Uh, and so there were really rich people in my area. And then there was a lower, there was a class lower than us, which wasn't middle class, which was, you know, the few apartment buildings that we had in our entire town, which is a handful. And Ricky lived, um, Ricky was one of the only black kids in our entire school. And he lived in the apartments next to the freeway, which at the time I didn't really understand, but he told me, he was like, that, that means we're poor because we're near the freeway. Uh, and so it was super strange to sort of be in a situation where there's so much privilege on one side of my town. And then the one guy I'm connecting with most, uh, with Ricky, it, it was, right. he was almost like he lived in another dimension. And so, you know, his mother was, and I talk about it in the book, his mother was so kind and worked so hard to get him the Jordans he wanted and all these things. But he was living a different struggle and a different life than everyone else I dealt with every single, every single day. So we created a rap group together. Um, and that was the one we went forward to uh, with the Ice T show and stuff with. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we went to the mall, the local mall, and he would be followed around uh, for shoplifting. And I didn't feel that when I went with my white friends. Those kind of things um, I would not have seen without being friends with Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have seen it because we had no black teachers from from kindergarten to 12th grade. We'd never had a black faculty member. Well, so you said your, uh, your grandfather was like... Huh? Yeah, my, well, my grandfather... Made of chocolate. My grandfather wasn't <laughs> raised in Calabasas. He was raised in Iowa. Uh, but he at, at about fourteen or fifteen. I still did. don't think there's any black people in Iowa. Yeah, he, I mean, he saw the one. He uh, at fourteen or fifteen, it was the first black person he saw. And because living on a farm and growing up there, he did believe the man was made of chocolate for a second, which is a very Sasha Baron Cohen character <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> but it was it was an adorable uh, adorable story. Which which if had I been sheltered enough away from Ricky. Um, I, I, not that I would have said something that crazy, but I definitely would not have understood cultural divide at all without Ricky yeah, and his mother without Thelma. Yeah. Without, without them. And then, and then being involved with rhyme syndicate and being involved with some of those things I did as a kid. Um, th that is the education I would not have learned from growing up in Calabasas. Then, then, you know, knowing like there's these divisions of socioeconomically, even within certain neighborhoods mm -hmm. where you think everybody's kind of homogenous. Yeah. Um, what have you learned about, I don't know, the unifying elements of culture, right? Like hip hop is, you know, when it was a $12, 13000000000 billion business, yeah. it, you know, Quincy Jones said, it's not just like, those are white kids buying, buying yeah. the music. Um, and now even in pop culture and like pairing brands with pop culture art, like what is yeah. that universal truth that you've discovered, like from your perspective yeah. that that resonates with good the crea majority? Good creative. That, that's it. I mean, you can pitch shitty stuff in rap or in 
marketing or whatever it is, but if you can somehow speak to them on a cutting edge way, which is what hip hop was back then. Now, Mm -hmm. now, you know, it, it sells Sprite to everything, you know, it sells, you know, Kaiser Permanente, but at one time, you know, this was a fringe concept. And so if you can continue to be cutting edge in that way, like when I pitch hip hop, like I had 88 keys do a song for lost. I had Joe Budden do a song for something like I don't pitch. I don't pitch Nelly. You know what I mean? Like I I try to do the things that make them cool and good creative. And so if you can continue to make cool and good creative in any world that where you're in sort of entertainment or whatever, that's the unifying thing. Yeah. One of my favorite. um, And the gallery is that, by the way, the gallery is like a cutting edge. It will always be that. Yeah. So that that those kind of oh, that's hip. You know, that you have to convince them it's hip. Well, uh, yeah. And because the. The big wigs don't see the no. culture, right? They're they're being told numbers. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite examples of like making it cool is uh, Danny Brown and yeah. Fresh Off the Boat, like I theme songs. Like. So so I know that story because uh, I'm friends with Randall from the show, and Randall's a hip hop guy. So Randall and I, uh, as grown men, we go to hip hop shows that we should not go to. I'm so like I so want to go to hip hop shows. Yeah, we, like, you're very invited with us. I'll go with you. We're a grown yeah, man. We're a grown see, man group. I'll, I'll do that if I go. Like you know yeah. me, and, I, and I'll dress a little cool, but yeah. then I'm like, uh, I yeah. still could get shot. This is not a name drop, although it is. But Randall and myself have somehow found out that ryan Philippi is a rap fan and so we go all three of us together to hip-hop shows as grown men and ryan gets free tickets usually and we get to meet the rapper it's very nice because of ryan uh but we all go together because we feel ancient like right, we, we've right. done run the jewels we've done push a t we do the shows no, okay we, for like seriously like push is the greatest rapper alive. Exactly. greatest rapper alive so uh and so we do that so that we feel comfortable and don't feel like pedophiles on the search uh and so we we go to these things uh and that and randall uh, is a huge Danny fan. So they were between two songs. They were between Danny and another song, and uh, and that was it. And now you have Detroit hat. Are you from Detroit? Yeah. Oh, see, there you oh, go. And Danny's a killer. And so mm-hmm. and so uh, they were between two, and I think somehow Randall and a bunch of people convinced them go with the credible one because the other one was not credible. Um, and and they, we got through. That's and, that, and they fought for it. Yeah. And Randall's part of that fight, which is awesome. Fresh off the boat. Yeah. And he kills it. <laughs> he kills it. Um. Uh. What is your superpower? I think that, I mean, we sort of talked about it. Yeah. I, I do believe I have this sensitivity thing where yeah. uh, where I can feel sort of uh, if something's going to come together, if this is the right, is this going to blow up? Is this, I, I feel like I have a nice pulse of, of, I see the lane coming. Are you set up as an individual or do you have a team that works for you across, across the board no. or like they're individual? Segmented. Okay. Yeah. I usually don't ever want someone who's across the board. I think that it, I can barely do it. So I don't know how someone else would be able to do it. So like I, the gallery is two man, two managers and Katie, my partner. Uh, I have this pin company, which at one time was a bit and is no longer a bit and now takes up most of my life. Patty LaPell. Yeah. It was a joke and that is no longer a joke. Uh, so that's with my partner, Melissa on that. And then the podcast is with Maddie. I mean, I always have someone around that is just as good at it as I am so that I don't feel, you know, like I'm drowning. Yeah. But I, I can't do like an assistant that does everything because I, I will, I, I think I'll probably run them into the ground fast. But it's interesting though, because I, I think some people want that to free them up, right? Like yeah. they want the assistant or the, you know, the extension of them to free them up to be able to focus more on the creative, right? Yeah. It, 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 I don't know. I don't feel that way. I mean, I get that, that how people yeah, would, yeah, yeah. but like writing the book or whatever, or even getting ready for real book press two weeks before, like I know people are like, oh, get an assistant. I, for some reason, like this morning I woke up and did a Skype interview with like a 21 year old kid who has a podcast. Like I, I, I was like, <laughs> I want to do that. Like someone would have told me not to do that. And I was like, oh, I don't, I'd like to do yeah. that. Uh, and so that kind of stuff, 
I actually enjoy doing hands-on. So um, maybe one day I'll feel, I mean, I've had assistance for projects, but never, never like an overall. 13 years in the art world. Yeah. Um, uh, especially pop culture. Yeah. The whole thing. What, what changed, like what's changed? Cause it's a rapidly, like I'm imagining 13 years ago looked very different yeah. in, it's in that, in, you know, in that arena than it does now. There was no and arena. it's even changing yeah. r- more rapidly. There was yet. no arena. It was the parking lot outside the arena. It, we, we were made fun of by galleries that were here for years. We were sort of the ugly stepchildren, but but Katie and I, you know, for, for the first two years, we played like online poker most of the time. We didn't even have anything to do. Now we can't stop working on it. Uh, and so people started to take us serious, you know, two or three years in when the line started to go around the block and Disney gets involved. And, you know, then those galleries that were making fun of us, now they're doing group shows that are pop culture influenced. And now those things are happening. And, and I'm fine with that. I, I'm happy that they've, they've yeah. sort of understood what it is. Um, but we, I mean, the the landscape of art gallery and pop culture in the last 13 years has done a 180. I mean, 100%, absolutely a 180. Yeah. And I, we're just happy to be in the forefront of it. Well, I think about this, you know, this idea you kind of cutting in line and, and uh, you know, ch- ch- changing perception, yeah. the things that we've talked about, um, the Shia LaBeouf exhibit, which was actually right by my house. Uh, um, and I was wondering why those lines were so, like so far around the corner. But then yeah. you, I realized that you had... A, we mocked it. Yes. Yeah. Well, tell that story just because uh, I well, think it's pretty amazing. I, uh, I was in line. I don't know why this happened. My friend Matt, you know, I actually do know what this happened. I, I took an ABC job after lost and uh i don't know why i did it my agent at the time was like it's a lot of money and i did it and i was like it just creatively wasn't that stimulating and uh and then at the same time i was doing some comedy work uh for jash for for uh, for an online company and both of those deals ended on the same day (laughs) like literally they ended on the same exact day and i was like well it's fine i'll find something else and on the way home i see the shia labeouf art exhibit and i was like all right and so I call Maddie. I go, I'll, I'll sit in line. Come meet me. I know you're not doing anything. He goes, all right. So we're sitting in line. And like 20 minutes in, I go, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> it like hit me. Like, this is so stupid. Why am I doing this? And so I turn to Matt. I go, I'm not doing this. Let's go home. He goes, okay. So I turn the corner. And as I'm turning the corner, I realize it's next to another gallery. It's literally touching walls with another gallery. And no one's in there. It's just filled with art. And I walk in. I go, quick question. She goes, yeah. I go, if I want to rent this place tomorrow, how much would it be? She goes, two grand. I go, Here's my card. And I just give her my credit card. She charges it. I go, so tomorrow I have this? She goes, yeah. I go, okay. So I walk outside and I call Funny or Die and I go, uh, hey, qu- quick question. <laughs> like, if we stay up all night and I get photos of what Shia LaBeouf's art exhibit looks like, can we recreate it in the space next door exactly? And they were like, yeah. I go, all right. Call up my friend. I go, quick question. Did you go to the Shia LaBeouf thing today? He goes, yeah. I go, did you take pictures? He goes, huh? I go, can you send me those pictures? Sends those pictures. I send it to Funny or Die. We get a producer, Ali Horde, on it. Ali Horde starts cr- recreating the scene exactly we you know everyone shows up at the gallery within 20 minutes the entire team is at the gallery we're, we're recreating it and then i don't have an ending because i can't get shy you know what i mean i can't right, get shy right, right. so the joke of the shia labeouf exhibit which i was told by my friend who went in is that you go in and shia doesn't say anything and i was like well that's kind of funny but then i figured it would be funnier if you went in and the celebrity never stopped talking and i'm friends with jerry o'connell and in real life he never stops talking like he will talk Perfect. for hours yeah and so i was like great we'll put jerry in the room Jerry will talk nonstop with the person and we'll do the same exact exhibit to mock him and we'll end up being a more popular exhibit. So we opened it up 15 hours later from the moment that I was like, I should do this. And we put up the sign that says, I'm, it, the exhibit was called I Am Sorry. Ours was called I Am Sorry Too. 
uh, TOO and it, with Jerry O'Connell. And so our line opened. Did they know this was going on? Zero. Okay. No, no clue. Uh, we hit it. We 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 counted how many security guards they have outside. We we got the same amount. We did everything so that if you were looking straight on at two spaces, it looked like a mirror image, except that ours was just a mockery of the other one. And so we ended up with a longer line. BuzzFeed came to ours, picked it up within five minutes. And so we created this extremely strange stunt with Jerry O'Connell. He wore the bag over his head. We did the exact same stunt. Uh, and and then the ironic part of that is that uh, it was this crazy thing. I I really didn't sleep. So I go back to my gallery at the end of it with my assistant, with my gallery manager. And I go, she goes, what the hell has been going on? I go, we did this stunt next to, you know, Shia's thing. I'm so tired. And she goes, did you do it because he emailed you? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, he emailed you. And I was like, when? She goes, I don't know, a month ago? I go, where is it? She goes, I sent it to you. So I go through my email <laughs> and I'm like, amazing. and I go, oh my God, it's in my spam. So I open it up and it's Shia LaBeouf asking to do the art exhibit at the gallery, at my gallery. No. Which is like the shittiest feeling in the world. <laughs> so I wouldn't have done it for the record, but I will say this. In the email, he explains his entire exhibit, explains everything he did in that space. And it's kind of dope. That it's kind of dope. I was, I wrote him back. and was like, listen, I'm the dude who made the thing next to your space. I read this, and I wish you would tell people this. Like, I wish you would explain to people what this art exhibit is, because it's dope. And he never wrote me back. But it is funny that I'm. he sent me an email, like, please let me have it there. And then I just fucking shit on him. Like, it's like the worst possible. Yeah, exactly. It's such a mean thing to do. Yeah, it's such a mean thing to do. But I have grown an appreciation for, for Shia. For being his most hated critic, almost, I, I, I'm almost like, man, what he's doing is kind of fun. He's yeah. going on the elevators for 48 hours with people. He's watching all his movies with people. It's just kind of like he's... He's trying to be a Bill Murray. Yeah, it's kind of weirdly exciting. Um, he, I watched uh, Nymphomaniac. I didn't watch it yet, but I'm sure it's great. Um, yeah, it was... It was <laughs> it's all right. Uh, some pretty good uh, gratuitous... Uh, anyway. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard. Um, uh, as we wind down a little bit, yeah. um, especially when you think about hip-hop and 12-year-olds, and I have a daughter who just turned 11 mm-hmm. yesterday... Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I could turn on the music that I love when she's in the car with me. Um, and as digital culture has kind of really taken, you mentioned Tumblr Mm -hmm. and the website for your pins and all that stuff. Like, do you ever feel any sort of responsibility or pay attention to any responsibility that should be taken or, you know, I'll I'll leave that up for interpretation. And how do you approach that? Um, it's difficult. I think. As a kid, I gravitated towards postmodernism. And like that's the stuff that like my editor was like, bullshit. I was like, no, I, I definitely knew. <laughs> yeah, I, let me show you some I more definitely notes. knew. Yeah, I definitely knew. So like when I listened to the Gravediggers, which was my favorite rap group of all time, mm-hmm. when I listened to them, they were characters. They were pretending to be back from the dead and murdering people. And, th- and that was a metaphor for failing at a record label. So right. coming back from the dead was a figurative, you know, a figure of speech. We're coming back from the dead. No one believes in us. We're gonna show you this. And I knew that at that age. That's because I was into creative writing, and that's because I was into movies and in, into things that I was... So I think a well-rounded education of what you're listening to. Like Action Bronson is a great example. So mm-hmm. Action's this incredible rapper. You know, a lot of people would argue he sounds like Ghostface. That hasn't seemed to bother him that much. But he, I love his rapping. He's great. He's, he's run into the last two weeks of a lot of problems, which is he's, he's being dropped off of a lot of college shows. Because a few years ago, he did a song called Consensual Rape. And in the song, he is, is not pro-rape, but he's definitely not a 2016 mind frame. Clearly not. I mean, right. it's, it's definitely from the old school New York hip hop, you know, era of Akinelli and, mm-hmm. you know, a different kind of era. And 
he also posted an Instagram account, uh, an Instagram photo a long time ago on his account as well that was uh, derogatory towards transgender. I don't have a defense for the transgender Instagram, other than the fact that he apologized for it and says he's grown and met with people, whatever, the thing you're supposed to say, the damage control. Okay, you can believe that or you don't have to believe that. The music, the consensual rape song. I, and his answer to it is, I'm a character. In the same way that I read a script, in the same way this, in the same way that everything I say isn't something I believe in, sometimes I do it in order to paint a picture, to tell a movie. And that's what I know. That's how I knew hip-hop. Growing up, that's exactly... I didn't think the lynch mob really lived in the jungle. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, right. I didn't think Ice Cube really murdered people. He was a he was a goddamn architecture student. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I I could see those things. Like I, I didn't think, you know, when when Biggie and Tupac killed each other, basically, I was like, oh fuck, that was real. But like there, but there, but most well, of hip hop yeah, is the, not that. That's the thing. So it's like, oh, does art imitate life, or does life imitate art, or you know, where's that division? Right. And uh, in most cases, now thirty years into hip hop, it is an art. It is an art. Yeah. It, the life life it happening in life is rare. In the law, and especially in 2016, everybody's making so much money that you're not seeing these. Fi- Meek Mill and Drake are like the cutest battle ever. These guys aren't <laughs> yeah. fighting or killing each other. So, like, you know, I think that teaching the art of it, teaching the actor aspect, you know, Action Bronson doesn't really want to make a song called Consensual Rape. It's part of this larger tale of hip hop. I don't think it's a song I would write, right. but I think understanding just because he says it doesn't mean that's what he's doing. But I don't know if that's easy to educate. I knew that I understood it, but I don't know if that's easy. Well, I think, you know, uh, part of me thinks that because we have more access to talent, right? Yeah. Like, so, uh, like, I'm a huge Killer Mike fan. And Who's like, incredible. I, I met him at South by Southwest. Yeah. And, like, he gave this talk, and just listening to him, which is it was a talk that was recorded and yeah. that was available online mm-hmm. and knowing that he supports Bernie Sanders and he's a very eloquent speaker he most of the I think most, he's going to run for office eventually uh, yeah, yeah. I, I totally I totally yeah. think that and I think like most of his like persona or him like his his natural self was like I'm just a corny dad yeah like in the UJ he kept reiterating like not like in, in a deliberate way he was just like you know I just do like regular like, yeah but he thinks you're a fuck boy and you right, know right, exactly like, when he's talking he's like, he's like oh, but rapping wise it's fucking like bitches and but killing he, people but you don't burning really, mattresses in prison but I don't think he thinks I'm a fuck boy right do you know what I mean like even though he says it in almost every song it's like I don't I think he likes me. Well, he actually I think he, called me a fucking Well, that's a problem yeah. you have. Yeah. But I do think, like, if you met him, I mean, I did meet him. He was so polite and kind. Yeah. It's like, I didn't think he was going to be like, you, you know, fuck your mom. Like, I, I didn't think he was going to be like an <laughs> asshole. Like, so I don't. Put his gun on the table. Yeah. Like, an LP's been doing this for, you know, when I met both of them together, like, LP's been doing this for 20 years. I knew his rock stuff. I came up with those guys. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I just see them as having fun. And, and, uh, and that sort of. You know, I guess there's a New York contingent of this of guys who actually did sell drugs and then make music like Mayno and a bunch of people who actually did live the life they're rapping about. Yeah. But that's a different kind of rap. This 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 that I'm talking about is is the majority. Bobby Schmurder. Uh, Schmurder. I mean, listen, Schmurder may have that might be uh, life imitating art because I don't know if when you're 16 if you were really owning 55. Yeah, he couldn't guns. have been. Uh, you couldn't have bought that many guns. Yeah, exactly. It's like when Tyga turned 18 and he had seven million tattoos. I was like, did you get that in the last two weeks? <laughs> like, how did that happen? Uh, and so like that, it, it just depends on are these no people. More Right. Are they imitating? Are they living it? But the truth is, is that the, the real artists, the people you like, the people I like, we should we should understand that, like, just because Phil Collins said that someone died and he saw him in the audience, that that didn't happen. Yeah. That story didn't happen. We should see that in hip hop as well. I just told that story to my daughter the other day. I was like, did you tell her it's not real? Though? I didn't tell her. It's not oh, real well, part. that's a real problem. Thanks for letting me know. Though. <laughs> I'm the real Santa Claus breaker of your family. <laughs> but that is that is the truth is, is that, you know, we should see this as as written art.
So the show is called Innovation Crush. Uh, we've covered a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, but and I'm sure there's a lot more in that head of yours behind that beard and the glasses yes. and underneath the hat. And yes. The headphones, you know, exact to same. Just leap out. Um, what uh, What do you currently see out in the world that you have a innovation crush on? Um, well, I, you know, I've made a good living off it the last three months, but it is weird what has happened to the enamel pin world. It's been a very strange, odd thing to watch. Is that I. It's selling a lot. Like not like not like not like, oh, they're selling a lot. Like, no, this is a real industry that started from just kids being like, Oh, I want to make a couple of these and we have a place in China that'll make them. Right. Um, and so I was kind of early on that, and now our company has sort of uh turned into something I did not see it being. Uh that's a very easy answer. Um the other answer, I mean, do you want like really specific stuff like we would do on Get Up on this? Sure. I mean, whatever like, like with yeah. Like hologram tour. Is yes. going to be a nuts thing in the next five years, nice. and I wonder if people are going to be into it. It just I'm sort of feeling out like they're going to do stand up as hologram. They're going to do a lot of weird shit soon. The technology is pretty awesome. I actually looked at this box today, yeah. like a handheld box where you put your phone on top of the box and then through some mirrors inside yeah. it, like almost like Google Cardboard. And there's a hologram inside, and it like you can shake it, and it'll change it to a different image. Yeah, it works on the accelerometer, so as you turn around, like for this experience, it was different kinds of birds in flight. Sure, and you could like if you turn to your left, you're like looking at the left side of the bird. Like yeah. the more you spun that's around, that's like a VR, like a like a virtual. No, no, no. This was a hologram. This, this was hologram. Wow. Like I'm holding a box in my hand, no headgear, no nothing. I'm looking through a little window. Yeah. in the thing. Yeah, I mean, are you gonna? Would you go see Richard Pryor? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's I, on the line, though, isn't it? It is, but uh, like you know, part of me knows. Like I think the Tupac thing was like, oh my gosh, that was an amazing surprise, right? And now that people, but I don't know. If, I think we're. I think kids aren't going to care because they already don't care that the DJs aren't performing, right? Do you know what I mean? Like they already they don't care that people are just touching buttons. It's about the the like. Okay, so um, I work with a rapper, this girl who went. She's amazing, by the way. Oh, I yeah, to her she's before. incredible, and so. I managed this girl Nova Rockefeller, and she went on on tour with in, the uh, Insane Clown Posse guys. But but they're but they're <laughs> random. Th- oh, there's a great great scene for her. <laughs> the third act was Easy E's Child. Yeah. Okay. Little E, they call yeah. him. And he he came out and did. He does his father's songs. He's the only one who's officially allowed to do those those songs. So he does all the NWA stuff. He does Boys in the Hood. He does all the he does We Want Easy. And I was like I was like gonna hate. I thought I was gonna hate it. Like yeah. oh this sucks. I was like, fuck yeah. This feels like we're watching EZ. And it felt there was like I was into it. I yeah. was like, I was like, yes. And then the next one hit, I was like, oh shit. And me and my friend Evan, who's like a major hip hop head from growing up, we were both like arms up. And he's not even a good rapper. He's just doing a impression <laughs> of his father. But God, it was it was so exhilarating. And so I thought, is there like like grave diggers, right? Like there's a dead guy in the grave diggers. There right. is a, now a real dead guy. So like if they, I mean, clearly there's not going to be enough of a demand to create the hologram grave diggers tour. But if there was, and I could go see all of them, and then one of them is, a, I would do that shit in a second. <laughs> I would go to that in a second. See, but that's, that to me, that's that's, that's nostalgia, right? Like you, like a, maybe, like, a, but all of them are going to be dead. Really, I mean, the, they, the, the, they will. We'll all well, be I'm dead. We'll all be dead. But the hologram tour is going to be mostly, mostly, you know, tradition acts. Like mostly, we'll get people. Where, I'm sure they'll do other things, but. But I'm—they're gonna bank on going to see Biggie live, man. Hmm. All right. 
No, I believe you. And what? And that, what is? How is that different than DJ culture? I think. See, where I feel like the holograms will work is for like simulcasting holograms, right? So if somebody's <laughs> on stage here at the Hollywood Improv, they can also go. They can else. be there like and that. still like look and interact with that crowd and like right. mess with them and and have a real interaction with them. There's gonna be that one layer of disconnect. But what about autistic this? children will love the holograms? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what if? What if they? This is a real question. What if a DJ in Vegas, these Cascades or whoever that make five million dollars per appearance, what if? During their show, they play a Tupac record, and Tupac appears as a hologram. Then they break that down, and then Biggie comes up, and then Biggie shows up. Well, and then yes. DJ AM rides above him and has turntables. <laughs> Dude, I, I just cut my – I'd hari-kari myself in front of the act. I'd be like, this is fucking crazy and dope. Yeah, it's, we can't beat this. And I sort of – I'm not saying that that's what ends up happening, but I'm saying there is something there. Yeah. There's something there that's that going to work. Yeah, and I don't know what it is yet, but I feel that's one of my weird sensitivities is the thing we made fun of at Coachella – which we all thought looked cool, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the thing we made fun of, I think, is going to be taken seriously soon in a weird way. And I felt that way about Snapchat because originally Snapchat was like, oh, send a dick to someone. And I was like, no, no, there's something else here. <laughs> and I didn't know exactly what it was, but now it's, you know, ruling the world of social media. But that, it feels similar, which is like, oh, we thought it was something, but I think they're going to turn it into something else. Yeah, there was one today. I was like, there's a company called Shots. And, you know, I, I did a project oh, with it's them. A, it's a, uh, online. That's a social media. Yeah. It's, they had it's paid like a Justin selfie. Bieber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And so did a project with them a while back. Uh, skeptic. Yeah. Like, all right. I assume Scooter's involved somehow. <laughs> right, Scooter <laughs> I, Braun? I would imagine. I would assume, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought when I saw it. Um, and I'm like, okay. And the project worked out just fine. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, good luck with those guys. Yeah. They just bought another company. Like, it, like it was no in the headlines. No <laughs> they just bought another yeah. company. Makes no like, sense. Um, so, uh Dead rappers aside, yes. Um, uh, finish this phrase for me. Yes. Innovation to me is a thinking ahead. That's always what it is. I mean, I guess that's just the definition. But for me, that's what my life has been. I, I feel like if 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 you can if you can be ahead of someone else and help mold what something is going to be, which I feel like we've done with the gallery, um, you're in the driver's seat, man. Yeah. You don't have to follow. Why would you follow trends? If someone like it's always weird to me when. Like when we pitch an artist and I go, well, you don't want him. He did the Avengers. They go, no, we want the Avengers guy. It's like, why would you want that? He just did the other thing. Like, <laughs> right. But that's, I'm so, yeah, I'm so and that's how And that's how corporate works. Yep. So you're going to have to do it sometimes. But be the guy who also brought that guy the first time. You yep. know what I mean? Like be the guy who brought him to the Avengers, You know, which we were. Yeah. So like this guy, 100% soft, who does, did the emojis for Star Wars. Yep. For a while, that was a big deal. You just type in a letter and it becomes an emoji. We had hired him through our deal at Star Wars to do those. And now he's done you know hundreds of them. But Avengers has hired him. Zootopia hired him. And I asked him straight up, I go, why are they? And he goes, well, they just think because I've done other ones. And I'm like, yeah, that is the exact opposite way I think. <laughs> the exact opposite. I go, it's like in school. If you saw a kid wearing a shirt, you didn't go buy that shirt. Right. You bought right. another shirt. See, I'm the flipper. I'm like, I like, I want to I want to do what you did, but do it a little bit better, yeah. or a little different. I'm gonna get a better shirt. Right. Yeah. And that's I'm gonna how get that, I feel. I'm gonna get that shirt. It's gonna say Junior yeah. Mafia on it, yeah. but I'm gonna get the one with the with, with the, all the group. Right. And exactly. Biggie above them. No, I agree with you. That's what I would do. Is I, I I don't follow anything. So if you can be ahead of something and be the first person in it, uh, and not not die for the credit, but 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 be able to sort of find those lanes on your own. That's that's the only place innovation has, has lived for me. Well, um, I appreciate you coming oh, here after Thank you. Uh, having a, a tumble. Yesterday. I did. I fell. We, we talked about it off air, but I fell while running last night, and I uh, I feel it. I, I don't know if it's because I'm 36, but I feel it terribly. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I'm on many pills. I, I'm in a lot of pain. Look, I just turned 40, man, and I was like, it, it like literally that day, I was like, ouch. Yeah. Just, just, just in hurt. general. Just, just in general. No, no, no reason. Ouch. Yeah. 
So that'll be the name of my book. Ouch. Um, yeah. uh, thank you. Yeah. How can people find you on the interwebs? And- uh, well, the big deal is that I have a book, June 7th. It's called Kanye West Owes Me $300, and it comes out uh, across the board. I think you also can get the audiobook that day, but you can pre-order it right now at jensencarp.com. That's with a K. Uh, and all of my stuff that I do from Patty LaPelle to the podcast to uh, every little thing is all chronicled there at jensencarp.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's jensenclan88. That's with a C because I'm not racist. It's jensen, C-L-A-N, 88. Everything goes through that. And the book is really like the main thing. And I'm just so excited for people to read it. Because I've hidden this story for so long. Most people who work with me in comedy have no idea about my rap career. Yeah, when they were like, yeah, Carl's going to come. I was like, yeah, no idea. But, oh, yeah, then you start doing some digging. So yeah. anyway, um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Do, 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 do.